data storytellers today on the show, I have a very exciting guest, Jake, Jake Giersa from Papa Murphy's International. Jake joined our masterclass a couple of months ago, and he brought some unique insights to the conversation. His fellow attendees mentioned that he had a particular talent for communicating complex, convoluted ideas in a slick, smooth format. And we're just going to explore that and other uh, strategic analytics um, approaches that he gained over the years. So first of all, Jake, welcome on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's uh, really cool to be here. I've never done a podcast before, so I'm pretty excited for this. It's a new experience, but I'm looking forward to having the conversation. Well, we'll make it count. We'll make it count. Um, first of all, so usually we start with a quick introduction. I think in your case, it's exceptionally relevant as well. So first of all, can you just give a short introduction into your role? Like what do you, what do you do now over at Papa Murphy's International? Sure. I'm the director of the marketing analytics department. And essentially what I do is any product or promotion or messaging or, uh, media, I analyze all of it just and my team, we go through everything. We look at everything from a bunch of different ways to figure out what works, what doesn't, what makes us the most money, what's the most efficient, what has the best ROI. So really slicing and dicing up the data to really kind of extract those useful data points. And then my team translates those and like to your point, uh, like your organization, we tell the story with the data to really provide digestible insights to the whole organization from the C-suite all the way down to franchise owners and even some, in some cases, some of the folks who work in the stores on the, you know, kind of boots on the ground level. So, you know, we really have to take large quantities of data and boil them down to two or three bullet points and make sure that those are readily usable to the audience that we're speaking to. So, Absolutely. And then again, when we had the catch-ups with the other attendees, they mentioned that, yeah, Jake had a really cool angle on communication. And when you and I were reflecting, I found out that, you have a background uh, that kind of answers a lot of those questions of, of why, why that's the case. So, uh, could you give us a little bit of a like uh, lay the landscape on what brought you to where you are today? How did you become an analytics practitioner? And take your time with the with the professional journey in this case. Sure. So, you know, just like everybody else, right out of high school, I went to college. And to be honest, my first four years of college, I was more interested in social aspects of college than I was in the actual educational aspects of it. And, um, you know, kept taking classes and wasn't really didn't have a whole lot of direction. To be honest, I, I had five majors, like two or three years, so kind of all over the map. And then I found myself bartending and working in the service industry, waiting tables, things like that as a way to help pay for college, pay the rent and things like that. But I actually really ended up falling in love with the service industry. Still love it to this day. It's one of my favorite jobs that I've ever had um, right out of the gate. And then I did that for, you know, had been doing that for five or six years. And then uh, one of my fellow bartenders and I, we started writing business plans. So we're like, hey, let's let's open our own place because we really wanted to do this. We ended up um, analyzing uh, one specific uh, place that was just outside of the town where I lived. Uh, we both lived at the time. We were writing business plans to buy this and had we were lining up investors and doing all that stuff. And then unfortunately, he passed away in a car accident, which was like completely soured me to the whole situation. And, um, you know, kind of just a really tragic thing. And But after that, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do because I didn't want to do it without a partner. That was kind of the, the basis of the idea. So I went to grad school. I, I really didn't have much, uh, any other avenues. So I just decided, hey, let's let's do this. Let's keep going with the education piece. 
Um, took the GREs, you know, went to grad school, got my MBA, and right out of grad school, ended up found myself working at IBM in Minnesota and worked in the financial business services or the business services department as a financial analyst. So, you know, I worked with a bunch of different um, of the, the 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 owners of the contracts for our business services, and I ran. I was basically kind of a mini CFO to a bunch of small business contracts, and that's really where I started leaning into the analytics um, aspect of the corporate world. But I still, at the same time, even while I was doing that, I was still working a couple shifts a week behind the bar, and I found myself translating the skills that I learned in the service industry, especially like, you know, the social skills and being able to uh, communicate, you know, very efficiently with people to my financial skill set or to that job. And I found that a lot of the things really translated well, especially because you taking the, you're moving from the service industry to sort of a service organization and was in finance for about 10 years, working at varying different companies all over the country ended up moving out to the West Coast and was in Portland, Oregon, have still here in Portland. And about four years ago, I got a call from a recruiter who I worked with before. And she said, Hey, there's this company, Papa Murphy's. Are you familiar with it? I said, Yes. You know, I've been a customer for a while. He said they're looking for someone to help lead their analytics department. And I'm like, Well, I kind of in more of my expertise is in finance. She said, you know, actually I think that's right up the alley of what they want, someone who just has analytics chops. And they're saying they want someone who can, you know, also has the the communication and the soft skills along with those, you know, real technical skills. And I said, you know, it's not really my thing, but let's give it a shot. Ended up interviewing, absolutely just hit it right off with my VP. Um, we really got along great and he hired me almost immediately. And I just started, you know, working in this marketing analytics field, but I, I think I probably touch on all parts of the organization at this point. So that's really the kind of the, the, the transition that I've gone through kind of across the board. You know, it was not the usual route that I think people take, um, but um, it was one that I'm actually pretty grateful for because I do think a lot of those skills that I took from the service industry really translate well to working in an internal service organization like an analytics department. Hmm. Well, first of all, sorry for your loss with your business partner. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, I hope he's watching and, and, and he's proud yep. of, you know, what you do now. And yep. um, I'm also the same in terms of uh, having a, a love for the service industry. So uh, when I moved from Hungary to London, that was, I don't know, 10 years ago. Uh, I mean, now I'm in Vancouver, but I lived seven years in London. And um, I also started off in the service industry because uh, I I was waitering for for like a few weeks and I remember showing up uh, at the uh, at, at the catering hub and they asked me like do you have any catering experience I was like no and they were like can you start today at 7 p.m so it's like it's yes so so I, I jumped right in and I remember my first gig was this luxury boat on the tents actually it shocked me that they needed needed waiter so much that you know without experience I could show up there and I was just thrown in the deep water and still remember the first uh, uh, guest that I actually served. It was, his name was Glenn, uh, um, a gentleman from the deep South in the U S and like uh, uh, he was with his wife and I didn't know much about the the meals, but I did my best to actually give them an experience to kind of introduce the, the different, uh, uh, the different meals with a passion and insight. And I remember him 
coming up to me at the end of the dinner. It was a little cruise uh, around the Thames with uh, uh, separate uh, sessions. There was like music and all. And just came up to me and put 20 pounds in my pocket saying that, Laszlo, you're a gentleman and a scholar, right? So, And that was like, oh, okay. So I didn't know anything about catering, but just actually connecting with that individual and trying to serve them as best as I can and giving them the proper attention, finding out what they actually want and need that actually elevated the entire evening. So I didn't get a chance to spend too much time in the service industry because then I actually entered into data analytics soon after. But yeah, I shared that passion with you. So can we just spend maybe like a minute or two on this? Like, why do you love the service industry? What were those some of, some of the key experiences from your bartending years that you think are exceptionally useful today for you now as a data analytics leader? Yeah, you know, I think the big thing for me is there's a, there's a few things here. And I'll start with the first. The first one is uh, in, you interact with a really wide range of customers when you work in the service industry. Every People will walk in in business suits to construction workers coming in after a long day outside at 100 degree heat. Then you'll have your bachelorette parties. Then you have your families. Then you have, you know, old friends from college who are trying to interact and just meet up again. So you, you have this just wide range of people that you have to interact with and you have to sort of meet them on their level of what are they looking for? What level of service are you looking for? And quickly pick up on that and adapt to that. Um, also, really understanding what their needs are. Some people come in and just want cold beer, like a construction worker after a long day. Whereas, you know, some business uh, gentlemen were, are going to want more of a fuller service. What do you have? What do you recommend? What is the best pairing with that if you're getting into wine pairings and things like that? So there's a, a wide range of things there. And I think that also translates really well to the service organization like analytics is you have a wide range of customers. You have, you know, basically low-level people who are trying to just figure out this one little nuanced aspect to their particular store, but then you have macro strategies coming that are being handed down from the CEO and you have to analyze those from you know top to bottom. So really understanding the customer needs and interacting with them really quickly, but then you also, what people are looking to you for is providing that expert perspective. You are the authority on the data, just like you're the authority on the menu and what uh, products you have available in a restaurant. So it really translates very, very well as people are coming to you asking your advice. Now, do you have to run through the whole menu? No, you can kind of figure out very quickly in those initial interactions what they're looking for and steer them in the direction pretty quickly because the turnover rate, let's be honest, in the service industry is probably much, much higher than a service organization, at least it is in mine. When you're dealing with hundreds of customers a day, repeating that process over and over again, you get really, really sharp at picking up on those little cues and figuring out, oh, you're like, you, you know, you see their eyes perk up when you say this one thing. Okay, let's run with that. Let's, let's key in on that thing. So I think, you know, those are the big three things, interacting with just a wide range of people, understanding what they need, and then providing your expert opinion. And that's basically the same playbook in the service industry it is in the service organization so such a great point because even if you think about bartending you know, at different levels and one would be like hey what would you like i i made that for you the other level would be um let's say uh, uh what do you think you're looking for right and then the, the 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 professional can make the perfect cocktail and i think the highest level would be like tell me about you like who who are you and i will make the cocktail based on that so there, there is an element where you meet people where they are, but then also your ability to assertively lead them 
to something better than they would have been able to come up on their own. And I see just so much relevance in data and analytics as well. Um, you mentioned that uh, you really hit it off with your VP. Um, why do you think, like, why do you think that that was that synergy right away? What went right during that interaction? And I'm asking because ultimately what we care most about is the professional development of our community members. And these key interactions are absolutely crucial to master. And uh, maybe it's a good opportunity to di dissect it a little bit of maybe some of your experiences from before, your posture that was like really attractive and brought value inherently into that uh, field, why do you think that uh, uh, that conversation went so well? And uh, what was the, the reason for that synergy? Yeah, so Tim and I really had a very similar approach. Uh, we both were big believers in making data-driven decisions. And coming from a finance background, everything revolves around the numbers, right? And that was something that I was a big proponent of. But at the same time, we, he was, you know, at the time dealing with the entire scope of the company from top to bottom and bringing people along from that was something that I had mentioned in my interview. You know, if you're going to provide an insight or uh, make a decision that's going to affect other people, you don't just want to make this isolated decision and kind of throw it over the fence at people. You want to meet with them early in the process, understand them. What are they really asking for? bring them along and educate them along the way so that they understand why we're leveraging this data to make the best decision. And we both were just in lockstep on that and really hit it off from that perspective. We also have very similar personalities and senses of humor. So, you know, kind of making the data nerd jokes, we both were laughing about it on our initial call. So, you know, that's again, goes back to the service industry is creating that, you know, quick rapport and, you know, meeting them where they are. And, Tim and I were basically already in the same spot, so I didn't have to go very far to meet him on uh, on his playing field. But we really just were very like-minded in our approach and how we wanted to set up this organization for the future. Because at the time, even four or five years ago, when I started here, um, data was still sort of in its infancy. You, there, there were some bigger organizations that had their data lakes, their CDPs, and all of these you know big, beautiful data sets already set up. But we were kind of coming into that and we need to help convey the value of the data to make these strategic uh, strategic decisions to the organization. And I think we were both looking ahead in the same direction of where we wanted to take this. So, Absolutely. And actually the ability to build that quick rapport, Agreed. I think it's underestimated. Uh, sometimes it's even fr uh, frowned upon. It's like, look, let, let's just get down to business. But you see, it's very useful to be able to build that quick rapport, to get on the same page make the other person feel comfortable and to trust that this interaction can be fruitful. So these are like very subtle things that happen in the background. But when you have that ability, suddenly things just move faster. Yeah. And people also like to know that they are in the hands of a, uh, of a professional and good rapport is that is like establishing the dynamic between the two parties. Right. Um, so in general, uh, what have you seen on this journey of creating and driving that data-driven business? Uh, what have you identified as the key challenges on the road? Um, I, I think, like you, you just alluded to, really, is 
establishing the trust first and foremost and making letting people know that you have their best interests at heart i'm not just trying to do something that benefits me um i i am very much a proponent of uh, a rising tide lifts all ships mentality if everybody wins if all the franchise owners win if the ceo wins if the marketing department wins i win too not only because i'm providing that good service and providing them with things that they can um actionable insights but also we're all going to make more money at the end of the day and let's be honest nobody really wants to work for free um so that really is kind of the story it's just saying hey guys i'm here to make you money and this is what you got into this business for this is what we're all here to do we all these are why it's called works you know it's not it's not free time so um i think that was something that really kind of bubbled up there is you know just establishing that trust and then as far as getting people on board with the data-driven decisions is you can go back historically. I think a lot what I've been able to do is say, hey, guys, let's take a look at a couple things that we missed on and why we made those decisions. And if we looked at the data, it really kind of tells a different story of what what's, um, you could have done differently. And so really sort of showing, looking back historically and saying, hey, maybe if we had done this and this differently, here's the same data set for this decision that we're facing now. Let's really look at it and make sure that it makes sense. Like how many pizzas do we have to sell to hit this level of ROI? How many, what media is the best way to convey this message? Is this customer cohort listening to the same channels as this person over here? And if we can figure out the data of who we're targeting, um, then you can really be kind of like, laser accurate almost more like a sniper rifle rather than the shotgun approach you know you don't want to just throw everything against the wall and see what sticks you want to be specific and strategic about the decisions you make and the more data you can incorporate into that decision the better decisions you're going to make put all your cards on the table lay out all the data so that you're factoring in as much as you possibly know to make the best decision as possible at that given time Mm, and you're framing it so well for them from their perspective. It's not about the right, algorithms. Right. It's not about the accuracy of the technology or how impressive it is. Yeah, that's they don't care for any of it. They, they, that's nice to know for us, for the data folks. We can, like, Lasso, you and I can nerd out about that stuff for hours on end. But at the end of the day, a store manager does not care how cool my CDP is. Like, he doesn't care. What do I need to do to make my store and my job easy as possible and make the most money? Absolutely. And look, if you really feel compelled to 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 talk about that work that that went into actually finding those conclusions through the data, then just condense it, condense it into what we call yep. a flash roll. We actually talked about it over the masterclass, right? So. Mm-hmm. Instead of it working against you because it's too complicated, no one really cares and alienates the audience. If it's short, if it is intentionally over their heads, but just putting their mind at ease that, look, this is solid, this is real, this is advanced, and just leave it behind you, then it will, again, work for you instead of against you. So before we move into your your uh, playbook of, of how to actually you know solve uh, some of these challenges, and you already gave a few uh, good examples. So... You mentioned that establishing the trust is like so key and to show them that you have their best interest at heart. Um, what we found over the years that one of the easiest things uh, to apply in order to bring that dynamic about is to demonstrate the truth of that with the questions that you ask. So you don't need to tell people that, hey, I have your best interest at heart. Instead, prove it 
by asking the right questions, which shows them that you are interested in the right things. So if you just reflect on uh, some of your conversations after you establish rapport with someone, it, I know that a lot of these things are automatic. You don't really think about them. But if you reflect, do you have any favorite questions that you like to ask from stakeholders, either new or people that you've already been working with, uh, which really helps you to find out how you can help them the most and in turn, the questions that will put them at ease that, oh, Jake's J Jake has my back. Right. I think, you know, generally the first thing I do is, like you said, you kind of break down the walls, uh, the barriers, you establish that trust, get people comfortable with you. I think that goes without saying. Then they're kind of a little bit more open to interact. The next thing I do is kind of similar to what I would say when someone would walk in the bar. It's like, hey, what can I do for you? And they say, oh, I need this data point. Can you give that for me? Generally, my number one uh, question is, yes, I can. However, what do you want to do with it? What is the question you're really trying to solve for here? It's not necessarily, are we trying to sell more pizzas? Is will this product make me more profitable? It's generally where I find people tend to go to or, or the question they're really asking. So I think, yes, I can get to the data point, but what are you really trying to solve and understand their problem? And I think you need, you know, with the good business acumen and understanding the business that you work in and having, you know, a top to bottom understanding of all of those workflows and how things work and what the touch points are, you can better equip them to answer the question. Because usually it's not as simple as, oh, this simple number. There's generally a much more nuanced thing to it. And also taking one data point is okay, but five data points that all lead to the same answer is better. So really just say, okay, yeah, we can totally do that. I think that will answer this aspect of your problem. But have you thought about this, this, and this? And generally, that's when you start to see that light bulb come on over their head. And they're like, oh, this guy's really trying to help me add the most value and be the best person I can or be the best business leader I can in my situation. And that to me is really where I find the you get people to trust and get over and understand that like, look, babe, this guy has my best interest at heart, especially if your answer contradicts some things that other people say, because I'm not here to tell people what they want to hear. I'm here to provide value and provide them. Like I said, I'm, I'm here to lay all the cards on the table so that they have all the information in front of them to make the best decision possible. Cause you never know when there's that one little tidbit of information and data point and insight that could completely revolutionize how you think about things. Hmm. I love it. Even when you said, uh, like you walk into a bar and then what the bartender asks, like, what can I do for you? But then it's actually not that, uh, self-explanatory because you see a lot of bartenders would ask like what drink do you want or even worse hey it's happy hour tequila is 20 percent off do you want one right but now if you compare the the, the service experience with the person like what can i do for you and then you really like like envision that archetype of that best bartender in the world who is not only just serving cocktails, but he's a trusted advisor. You know, the bar becomes the the psychologist's office, the confessional. He becomes the the, the that real trusted advisor who can actually find out like, okay, but why do you why do you think you want that drink? And then he will leave you to it leads you to a different conclusion, give you the best drink of your life, and at the same time will leave you with advice that might be life changing. I mean, even in movies, when you when you see the person talking to the bartender, there's a reason for that archetype to resonate so much. So really? no, I really like that. Yeah. I really like that. And again, it's all about that posture 
and where do you go from? It's like pull out as much as you can from seeing in data terms and just listen to the person first. And if you happen to have a solution for them that data can help with, well, did they, they are talking to the right person. That's the time to actually yeah. introduce the overall experience, not just that one interaction. Exactly. Exactly. So let's, uh, let's look at your, your, uh, playbook. So over the years, um, what have you found as the key principles for your success? So actually, before we go in there, um, what hap- What do you think happens when someone does not manage to assume that posture? So how does that hurt the, the agenda of data analytics in the company? And how does that hurt the professionals who are trying to lead that change? Yeah, I think, you know, if you're not approaching it from a service organization, service aspect, then people tend to think you're not really listening to them. You don't really care about them. And you have a tendency to kind of talk down to people like they are inferior, you're above them. And that will create instant friction and people won't trust you. They won't leverage the data points you're providing. You know, it just creates a a bottleneck where you're already dealing with someone who's walking into a room and doesn't know you at all. And if you immediately put up those guards and put up those barriers, then you're really not going to provide much value to them that they're going to leverage. And then they may end up making a bad decision, which as it trickles down to you can affect your bottom line as well. So I think, you know, really approaching things with a bit of humility to me is is sort of really key there. Um, That's part of like one of the things that um, we had talked about before is like kind of what's the secret sauce. It's like, well, Put yourself, try and put yourself on, you know, don't put yourself above people. Don't talk down to them. No one likes that in any aspect, whether you're in a bar and you're telling on someone, oh, well, your whiskey is not good. You should try this. Well, no one wants to hear that. People like what they like. People know what they want. And, and if you try and really kind of get on the same wavelength as them and really kind of just meet them at their level and just say, Hey, I'm a regular, you're a person, I'm a person, my job is to help you. Then that really kind of gets over that. And I think that's probably a a mistake that I see a lot of people make is they really data nerds are data. We're the expert on the data. And if you try and talk like that, explain some huge convoluted data set and you get into algorithms and you start talking about formulas and weighted averages and stuff, you're going to lose the room and people aren't going to trust you. But if you can translate them and approach it with a bit of humility and so explain it very simply and succinctly, I think you can really um, get over that kind of initial hump and really kind of um, people will meet or are more apt to trust you and they want to listen that because then they think you're trying to help them. You know, you don't want to tell someone what to do. You want to um, explain to them, you know, this is the pathways that we have here. What's the best? What do you think the best one is for? Also involving them in the process too, asking them questions, letting them come back and really listening to what they have to say, I think can really help with that process as well. Absolutely. I mean, the demand of data leadership is to not just be a brilliant architect, but also a skilled ambassador of analytics in the business. So just to shade that box a little bit before we open the gift and see the the action steps of how to do this. So how did this help you? So when we look at your playbook and you applying these principles and taking those steps, how did that help you in your role? What kind of doors did it open 
for you as a professional, but also for the function? What did that enable you guys to do? Yeah, you know, our, our the data analytics department here I, was pretty new when I started. Like I said, Tim was leading that department and the overall, and he was basically kind of doing everything from a VP level down to an analyst level. So the department was new. We didn't have all of the, the framework and the whole organization built in. Um, but then when I came in and another one of my colleagues, we started at the, on the same day and we kind of were like, okay, well, we need to explain um, that we're not here to help you. And if you run this playbook and you approach it with a bit of humility and really visualize way that are in a very digestible manner to the organization, then we can really take this sort of playbook of being these data stewards and storytellers and really take that and run with it and provide just uh, uh, an immense value to the organization and being able to um, kind of change the way we do things here. There was a lot of mistrust between the franchise organization and the um, corporate office. I think that's pretty common in franchise organizations, but kind of chipping away at that mistrust and really reestablishing that connection that says, hey, these guys are here to help me. I should really listen to what they have to say instead of, oh, they're just trying to make corporate more money. Well, yeah, we are, because that's where our paycheck comes from. But it also helps if you guys are successful as well. And really, I think that's probably, you know, running my my sort of playbook, as you call it, and the, the skill sets that I've kind of layered into um, the data analytics organization have really helped um, establish that trust and reignite that kind of passion for the data and understand that, hey, corporate is they can provide us stuff that we don't even have access to at, at, at their level. So that was really, I think it kind of just opens up more doors to getting that back and forth. And then when people trust you, they're more apt to tell you what's going on on the ground level. And the more information you can give from them, the more you can feed back into it and provide more strategic insights to multiple layers of their organization, not just the things that corporate is interested in. Yes, it's a true win-win because suddenly data analytics becomes useful uh, you impact people's careers, they make their lives easier, you eliminate a lot of pain and frustration and help them to attain desires. And guess what? In return, it looks amazing on on your resume as well. And it's satisfaction that you could actually uh, help people and you know not just be content with building amazing things that no one really uses or, or benefits from. So uh, now that we're 30 minutes in, literally on the in the in, in the podcast, probably we can actually look at that playbook. Um, so I think you put first here the whole idea of professional uh, development, like building that stack of skills. So um, can we explore that? What kind of skills are we talking about here? Yeah, I mean, I think there's the foundational skills for anybody working in a data you know, aspect of a corporation, whether it's finance or analytics or things like that. And that's kind of just your foundational, you know, undergraduate, like how to approach an analysis, how to look at everything, being able to condense data to look at it in several different ways and slice it up. That's, that's pretty standard, I think, across any analytics organization. But the other aspect of that, that I think may elude some people is really understanding your organization and the company you're working for. Like, what are our overall strategic goals? How does that translate down to every level of the organization? Because the more you understand your business, the better you can analyze it. You know, anybody can send numbers through some, you know, analytics, AI or whatever to spit out some corollary analysis. You can, like people can do that the live long day. 
but really understanding the business and understanding where the touch points are and how to really translate that between these, you know, sort of automated uh, analytical chops that you develop in your undergraduate and, you know, statistics class or whatever class you're in to do it. But using that in the real world doesn't really translate that well. And I think a lot of professionals out there will agree with me in that sense that undergraduate analytics and real world analytics are different. They do have a lot of overlap. But I think if you understand your business really, really well, and I'm not just saying one aspect of it from top to bottom, like when I first started here, I met with uh, franchisees, I met with marketing folks, I met with the C-suite, and I just want to understand everything that's going on. Because then that enables me to be able to solve for certain problems and certain things that people are looking at. Um, beyond that, I think another foundation skill is data visualization, um, whether it's Tableau, Power BI, or even just a simple Excel spreadsheet or a graph. Figuring out how to take those big data sets and, and putting them in a in a, in a, on a establishing a visual interface with those that people can look at and be like, oh, this is what I need to look at. This data point makes sense. This is how I can leverage this. Oh, this changed? Okay, what did I change? So you can go back and kind of leverage that and it almost becomes more of a self-service organization, kind of like a data kiosk, I guess you could call it. You know, they're going in and, you know, like you go into McDonald's nowadays, you don't even talk to a person anymore. You just go up to the kiosk and order your own thing. Well, that's kind of a, a secondary skill set layer of that where you're visualizing these things and providing self-service. And then, you know, lastly, I think the one thing that is almost invaluable to anyone in my space is having some level of programming ability, your SQLs, your BBAs, your macros, things like that. Because if you don't have that at some level in your data organization, you're going to probably end up relying on IT. And IT folks are, I have a great relationship with our IT team here. I love those guys. Um, we are very parallel in what we do, but also very different because IT folks tend to be very literal about when you ask them something. Whereas on the analytics side, you kind of have to have that gray area of, you know, especially in marketing, it's a, it's a world of gray. Very few things are black and white in the business world. And you really need to kind of understand the nuanced aspects of the business to provide that. Um, and I think being able to write your own queries, um, automate a lot of processes to save you time and things like that are also in a valuable um, skill set to have within your organization. So let me talk about data visualizations. I know you already mentioned a few, but um, do you have any uh, particular takes on when to use it and how to use it and maybe some best practices and pitfalls on data visualizations, like anything that comes to mind? Sure. Um, for me, I, I, I find when you put up tables of data, that has a very limited audience that will um, absorb and leverage those properly. I think within my organization, there's probably about a dozen people. We could put up a, a big spreadsheet on the wall and we could talk about it for five hours, right? But that is a very limited in the sense of my company. There's hundreds of people that we interact with on a daily basis. So I think really those types of data sets are not exactly the ones that are going to move the needle Putting them in a way, I, I do think bar charts and graphs are very easy to understand, like a line going up that indicates where profitability is, is pretty simple. You know, comparing stacked bar charts to show where the differences have happened. It's very easy to understand. Like I said, I, I, I can put up a, a, a spreadsheet on a, on a screen and I'll lose the room inside of five minutes. And no one is paying attention. Everybody's got their phones out. They're not even listening to what I had to say, to be honest. 
But if you put a graph up there and you can kind of explain what the graph means, and then you can make you leverage that in your visualization tool to show, hey, like this is what this means. Bring some of the education to them as well as providing the data. You're kind of killing two birds with one stone there. And then when you use a Tableau or a Power BI or even just an Excel spreadsheet or PowerPoint or however you convey the data, there's a, a multitude of ways there. But leveraging that same thing so people know what they're looking at and how to use it. It's kind of like I said, you got to kill two birds with one stone there. You're educating and informing at the same time. Absolutely. And so these were the, the foundational skill sets. And now what other skills? And, and I know that a lot of it we already spoke about, but it's worth reiterating. So we can just go through it again. So, so what's next after the foundational skill sets? Yeah, so those are your real technical hard skills, right? Those are the ones that you kind of learn in college, just classes for that. And the the next one is sort of the soft skills, those social skills. Um, as I said, breaking the ice, developing a rapport with people quickly. That's something I did not learn in college. That is something I very much learned in the service industry on how to do that and what the proper way is. Because let's be honest, if you turn off a customer to you right away, you're probably not going to get a very good tip and you're not going to make very much money that shit. You're not going to get one of those 20-pound uh, bills slipped in your pocket by the gentleman from the deep south. Um, I think that's really important is being able to walk into a room and just you know have a little humility break the ice. I, I find um, self-deprecating humor to be the best. I make fun of myself a lot. Um, I find people, when you do that with individuals, they they, they tend to, in, in any case, you don't take yourself too seriously. But at the same time, once you put up the data and you start slicing through it like a ninja, then they're like, oh, this guy's wicked smart and can really help me. So that right out of the gate is really my first thing as far as social skills go. Um, we also alluded to the second thing I kind of I lean really heavily into earlier is asking the right questions. Sit down, find out what they want. They're asking they they came to you asking, hey, I need this data point to tell whether this thing is successful or not. Well, okay, yes, I can provide that. But what are you really trying to answer here? What do you define as success? Because there's a wide range there. Some people define success as ABC. Some of them are X Y Z, and they're on polar opposite ends of what success really looks like. So defining that and then seeing what data you have available to suit those particular um, needs and address those questions that you have to tease out of that person. It's just like when someone comes in to take an order, can I see a menu? Yeah, what kind of things do you usually like? You, you know, that's, that's a secondary question that really says, then you can steer them towards the best solution for them. Um, I, I feel like that's really, really important as well. And then lastly, just being able to be comfortable in a public speaking environment. I find that, um, especially when I was in finance, I saw a lot of people, you would get in a room with the C-suite and you're trying to convey a certain idea and they are nervous, nervous, nervous. And that really shows through and you, know, you can hear it in their voice, you can see it in their posture and things like that. And so really throwing yourself into the fire um, uh, earlier in your career, or even, you know, going get a job in the service industry on the side. Um, it just forces you to have those interactions where your nerves are pretty calm. You don't really freak out in those situations. You know, you've been there before, right? You know what's going to happen. Even if you completely bomb, it's not the worst thing in the world. There are still steps you can take after to remedy that. It may be more of an uphill climb at that point, but, um, you know, there's, there's never, you know, a lose-lose situation. You can come back to it, adjust for it and things like that. So 
kind of throwing yourself in that deep end of the pool and forcing yourself to get used to that can really benefit in uh, that in the analytics function, especially when you're presenting to large audiences like that three, 400 people I was talking to in Vegas last week. So. Mm, absolutely. And actually, it almost like connects to the, what you mentioned about the self-deprecating humor. So of course, when the news right, it's not about like being goofy or anything. It's about letting people know that you're comfortable with the situation, right? That, because that kind of, if people uh, detect insecurity, which a lot of times is manifested through you like clinging too much to, you know, your numbers, your perspective of not being comfortable with entertaining outside perspective, self-deprecating humor is like, no, look, I'm cool. Like I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay with this and, and I'm open. And with this people open up to you in return, because that's what you actually want. You want like a genuine, authentic, honest exchange that people are comfortable with both the good and some of the more challenging areas as well. That's when you actually get down to the, to the real things, talk about what's actually keeping you up at night. What is the actual source of frustration? So with public speaking too, again, kind of the same idea, the audience will be able to gauge how comfortable you are. Do you have any other, um, other tips on public speaking apart from just, you know, go in there and get comfortable with the situation through pure repetition and exposure, which again, I, I agree it's 100% one of the most actionable pieces of advice that you can have with this. But do you have any other tips with public speaking, especially for data analytics leaders? Like what should they focus on if they want to improve that particular set of skills? Yeah, you know, there, there's, I mean, just doing it over and over repetition, obviously, like you said, is probably the best way to do that. Um, I've, I've told some analysts that I will, that are on my team, like, Hey, like, go join a Toastmasters club, get used to public speaking. But also I think one thing that I think a lot of people miss, and especially when you're in a smaller group, and this is more of a, a condensed range, not like a 300, 400 person thing, but, um, even in there, it does come up is listening to what the feedback is as it comes in in real time and absorbing the feedback, not just saying, okay, yeah, thanks. We'll take that offline and we'll deal with it later. Nobody wants to hear that because then you're sort of being dismissive of them. Um, and that goes back to having a little humility. Just, you know what? I have never thought about that before. Let's talk about that more. I think that's an agreeable point. Showing people that you listen and that you care what they have in, from input, because like you alluded to earlier, this isn't a one-way street here. This is a two-way two street and public speaking is no different. You need to be able to interact with them, whether you're holding questions to the end or you're, you're fielding them as you go, which, you know, when you're presenting to a C-suite, kind of, you can't be like, hold your questions to the end to the CEO who's going to ask you what he wants when he wants to know it. And I think that can really help. So listening a little bit of humility. And then I also think editing yourself is something that I think a lot of people miss when they're public speaking, um, data professionals especially do this. I am guilty of it myself. I tend to get really geeked out and excited about this data and I want to explain to everybody why I think it's so cool, but let's be honest, nobody else thinks it's that cool. <laughs> there are very few people out there that think data is cool as we do. Um, and so you kind of have to remember that as well as the things you enjoy and the things you think are cool may not be the same thing as everybody else. So really editing yourself kind of breaking it down um, my number one rule for presenting is less is more um you know don't say don't take 50 words to say something that you could say in 25 and don't write a sentence that's 30 words long if you can put a 10 word simpler version of it and 
verbalize the rest of it because people will read that one thing they'll remember that but then if they're listening to you they're going to catch up on all those other things you say so don't put up you know a bunch of sentences up there and read them to people you know this isn't second grade story time we don't need to go back to that really we want to convey ideas and have people thinking about them and how that can apply to them and if you're just reading off a slide that's really not going to do the trick and that's um probably like i said that's my number one end all be all rule of presenting actually the other analyst uh, uh who started with me at the same time at papa murphy's is the one who i got that from and i uh clung on to that since day one that less is more always 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 absolutely and then what you said about listening so to bring an actionable tip that i've heard in an exercise and it's amazing its impact is really the best public speakers if you watch them operate on stage they always speak to one person at a time so the audience is not a sea of faceless entities. You're actually talking to one representative of the audience at a time. I mean, that person is your, your connection to the audience. And this allows you to actually have that communication because even when you talk and you look only at one person, there's so much that's going on, you know, non-verbally, you can gauge how they are receiving the message. So as you go through your presentation, and to hit on another actionable idea here is you made such a good point of think about what you're not going to talk about. So think because that's much easier to avoid than to actually know exactly what I'm going to talk about. Because I say it all the time that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And look, if <laughs> I love that. Yeah, saying, it yeah. is. It is from the from the from the great Mike Tyson. You know, well, yeah, yeah. wisest human beings of the of the 20th century, I guess. But uh, again. Things will happen, and guess what? That's good. That's good if your message is influenced by how the audience is responding to you. So you got to stay flexible. So if you want to make sure that you're you're saying exactly what you want to say, well, that has way uh, more pitfalls than deciding what you're not going to talk about, because then you can just that that editing yourself, and that's great. Even if you think about uh, copywriting, like copywriting, it's all about editing. It's all about what you're going to take out. Again, that's another quote I always say. I don't know. It's one of those that no one knows if it's from Mark Twain or from someone else. Um, it's that I think I think it was Mark Twain who said that um, I wanted to write you a short letter, but I only had time for a long one. So, and and that's that's the same. So so less is more. And guess what? It it requires more skill and requires more effort to strategically know what you're not going to talk about. So it does not. The whole idea of authenticity does not absolve you of the responsibility of preparation. Far from it. Right. You know, if your audience starts to react to a certain aspect, you can always run with that a little more than if you, you, you're expecting a certain reaction, you don't get it. Um, it's very similar, and I, I, I don't do this, but I am a massive stand-up comedy fan, and I listen to a lot of stand-up comedians podcasts. And, you know, those guys are the masters of reading the room, understanding what's working, what's not, and adjusting on the fly. I actually am just in awe of what those guys are able to do and how they do it. And, and, and ladies, too. I am a big fan of female comedians as well, not just guys. Um, but it's it's fascinating to me. And I, and I listen to a lot of their podcasts because a lot of them will talk about like, oh, my God, I was bombing in this room. And the, the, another thing that I've really taken away from them is every single stand-up comedian out there will tell you. I have bombed repeatedly and often, and you cannot let that discourage you. Everybody bombs, everybody fails. And as they say, failure is the best teacher. So don't be afraid, but also 
Um, another layer from those guys too is just read the room, understand what's going on. If you see people start to kind of lean in and you can visibly see it, they'll lean in and they'll start listening and make that eye contact. Then you could talk maybe a little bit more about it. Slow down a little bit at that point. Let them really absorb and you'll see their wheels start turning for them as well because then they're thinking about it. And that's when you really make those connections where you know you're giving them value. So 100%. In fact, we're going to record a data store uh, with Kate uh, Gooden from Miro, yeah. head of marketing analytics. You attended the masterclass with her, right? And yeah. uh, her superpower was uh, creating a culture of experimentation in her data team. I mean, she will uh, resist saying it's actually an actual superpower, but I actually looked at her pay, uh, playbook and I'm comfortable saying it for sure. But it goes so deep, that idea of your failure is everything in terms of now you are one step closer to what good is and you cannot go there. I mean, getting there without any failure is like hitting the lottery. You that, that that's just not not a not a good strategy. That's why mainly um you know, everyone who buys a lottery, it's more like a tax on people who can buy the lottery. Not not to like judge anyone who buys a lottery. You know, I I bought some lottery tickets probably sometime in my well, yeah, 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 yeah exactly but as a life strategy to build on winning the lottery is not a good idea so uh, right right these great functions and these high performance teams are all built on that commitment of a two experimentation and it's the same with also public speaking or any kind of skill that you build you won't be able to know what's good and as you said phil is the best teacher guess what i mean it boils down to neuroscience because when you have that kind of experience, it's so emotionally charged that you will remember. Your brain will want to figure out what went wrong. So it's just the easiest, it's the most uncomfortable. But if you're serious about actually elevating yourself as a professional, there's no way around it. And whenever you fail, just remembering that that's it's fantastic. If you don't fail, that's when you should get worried. It's like, I'm not exposing myself to the right situations if I'm not failing. Right. And like you said, Kate and her experimentation and the culture of that, I think what a lot of people also don't realize is behind the scenes, before we get to that presentation and the visualization and the conveying of the ideas and how to add value from it, we've probably done 30 analysis that led to absolutely nothing behind the scenes. And that again, if you get one out of 30, you fail 29 times, but you only need that one win to really make a difference in your organization and to add an immense amount of value. So I think that's something else that I think that, that the data community needs to also like remember. It's like, guys, we're not going to hit. Nobody bats a thousand in baseball, right? Nobody's nobody's perfect. Nobody hits it out of the park every time. So, but when you do, man, that feels great. Man, it's the best feeling in the world when you see people. When you have people come up to you afterwards and say, "Thank you so much. I've never seen anything like this. This really changed the way I'm going to approach my business." And I think, and then they come back two months later and they're like, "I'm making more money than I ever had before." That's where really you're like, okay, this that's where you get those little tingly feelings and you're like, okay, I'm really adding value and really affecting people's lives for the better. So. Absolutely. And I really like, I actually wanted to comment on that, but we had so much to talk about that I forgot that <laughs> look, being open with the business of, hey guys, we're here to make money. Like that, that that's absolutely fine. And guess what? The business is by definition is an entity. It's a collection of, collection of individuals. And we're here to generate profit because that also means that we're providing value to their customers. And then the way you say it, of course, that's important. We actually had this specific question, even on previous masterclasses of like, look, I understand I need to like tune into the real motivations 
of the individuals. And of course, we're all here for a reason. You know, we, we have our own goals and, you know, the vision for our professional journey. We have families to take care of and all that. So it's great. You know, I can work in a great environment for a company that provides great value to the customers. We're all generating wealth both for the company, for the clients, for ourselves. That's fantastic. How do I, how do I actually say it? And I think just your kind of tone of how you talked about it is, is just that, just, just, just being honest, you know, just being honest about what we're here to do. And one thing, another thing, and disconnect to this specifically, uh, I see that in your playbook and we probably commented on, uh, uh, commented on that, but we didn't zoom in is that verbiage that fits the audience. So even in business, when you look at yourself, as a data analytics function, as a business within a business. With small businesses, finding what we call a an LMF, a language market fit, is one of those things that will pay the most dividends for you. And and not having that the absence of it will hurt you badly. You know, you just you just you just keep banging your head against the wall. So finding that language market fit, again, you said that you serve all kinds of different audiences. So you don't have the luxury of just going deep into one particular. I mean, I guess if you're in supply chain analytics specifically, then you only deal with supply chain clients. But even there, there are different, uh, uh, you know, people doing different things. But for a corporate analytics leader uh, who has to provide value to all separate different parts of the business, how do you find that language market fit? Do you have a process for understanding what kind of language they use? what they're comfortable with, and working them into your own communication. Again, I know you talked about this before, but if you kind of had to summarize or or bring some concrete insights. Yeah, I think it's just understanding what people are really after and how they look at adding value. You know, um, I think that I, I, I just, for example, I just did a presentation this morning. I have three different versions of this presentation. I have one that I, I, I ran through with the C-suite. I have one that I'm running through with the marketing committee. And then I have another one that's going to be sent out to the broader audience of the entire organization. And they're very, very different. They all have, you know, the 40% of the slides are the same for all of them. But, but depending on the audience and what they're looking for, you know, that the C-suite is very macro. They're looking at the entire organization, do they get down to the individual regional level and the store level? Yeah, we, we're, we're concerned about, they're concerned about that too. But in general, they want to make sure that the fleet is heading the, all the same direction, right? Whereas when you're talking to a marketing committee or an ops committee or something along those lines, their mindset is very, and their focus is very, very much more in a much narrower lane. The marketing committee certainly is like, how does this sell? What's the profitability of the product? Things like that. Ops committee is more, well, how is this going to affect my labor rates? How is this going to affect this? So there's different things that different people are interested in. And then when you get down to the lower level where you're talking about the, the smaller franchise owners or even store managers, those people absorb things on a different wavelength, but are also interested in some of the same things. So it's really more of, I kind of look at it as the very top level, it's probably complicated and that's probably gonna be 40 or 50 slides. It's gonna take me an hour to go through. When I'm talking to the individual committees, I think this morning was like 25 slides for the marketing committee. And then when I do it for the broader audience, it'll probably be 35, you know, somewhere in that range. And I, I will change the wording on some of the slides just because I think they can bait things in a different way that are absorbed differently. So. As you said, the verbiage to fit the audience and how you explain things and the level that you need to go. I think I also had probably 20 appendix slides for the C-suite because I'm like, here's all the actual data if you want to see it and where I'm pulling this from. 
because oftentimes that's one of their big questions. Hey, can you send me this? I just want to take a look at it just so they're comfortable with it because not only they can't send every question to me when I publish this, they're going to get happy fielding questions too, as well as our field ops and our field marketing teams and getting them all comfortable with it, with it as well is really key. So, you know, adapting the presentation, how you say things, what you say about it, and, um, you know, kind of the format that you do it in, um, I, it's it's complicated, but when you're at the, the you know the the, the 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 higher levels within a company, that's basically part of your job. I look at that. I mean, I I don't get to spend near as much time as I do in the data anymore. My analytics team does a lot of that. I still do, but a lot of my job is really developing those stories and telling the story with the data to different audiences. You're not going to explain the same thing to a high school student that you would to a seventh grade student that you would to a fifth grade student. Very different audiences. Very different you know, um, ways that they absorb information. So really kind of just adjusting those and it doesn't take much. It's really just little changes and simplifying things or getting deeper into the data is really, um, the main difference between those two. Absolutely. And one of the key takeaways here is that you're communicating the same truth. It's the same thing, but that truth only comes to life when it meets an individual when it impacts them in some way, rewire some assumptions or beliefs, which will then result in a different kind of behavior. That's when that truth will again come to life in the organization. And by you communicating that truth, that same truth in different ways, is just you adding that service to the work that you already had done and your team had done that, right? And this is this is almost like, I know that the last mile problem in data analytics, we mean something different by that. You know, Francis Correa is from Microsoft Game Studios, in the masterclass, but this is a different last mile problem. This is the, the last mile of storytelling of have the truth, have the narrative. Now you have to make it useful for the audience. Right. All of those different audiences view value being added in a different way. They're adding value at the C-suite level is different than adding value at the store level. It's different than adding value to the marketing organization. You know, they all have different things that they consider wins, but like you said, it's the same truth. You're just explaining it to people on how it affects them personally. And, and getting on that personal level is really where you can really make a lot of headway. Like I said, when you start to see those light bulbs come on over people's head, you can read it on their face. Again, I think I probably got good at that, you know, back in the, the service industry, reading 100 people, 200 people a day. But again, it's the same facial expressions, you know, it's the same thing uh, when you're at a poker table, reading the uh, person on the opposite side of the table oh, what is he thinking? What is he doing? Why is he doing it? Okay, well, it's the same thing here. You need to read that person. Are they getting, are they picking up what I'm putting down or do I need to, uh, you know, adjust tactics here too? So it's all about value for that personal audience. Absolutely. And then uh, with this, the main shift is that you keep asking your the, the question of what movie are these people watching specifically right now because your story will need to work with that and to connect that story to that person. So again, it's just that shift from what do I care about? What is my truth, my story of no, no, no. What are these people? Well, what did they see? Uh, what is their world? Um, so this was a really good conversation, Jake. I know that we went over the originally scheduled time, uh, but what would be your advice to aspiring leaders? So now there's just more opportunity in the data analytics space than ever before, and it doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. So what would you recommend to those people who really take that craft seriously, want to achieve amazing things in their professional journey? They want to progress. They want to provide amazing value to their uh, uh, customers. Um, what would be your, your personal word of advice? 
honestly just have a lot of conversations, whether it's with the CEO down to a store or just, I, I find, I, 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 get very frustrated sometimes when there's 30 people in a meeting and everybody's trying to talk to everybody and everybody's got different ideas of how to add value where I always find two people in a room could solve more in 15 minutes than a hundred people in a room could solve in three days. Right. So, and also by having those conversations, you learn how to ask the right questions, actively listening to the person, you learn how to establish that trust, um, and kind of break down those barriers um, and really figure out where you can meet them on their playing field and meet them in, in, and provide data and um, value to them in the way that they see adding value. So it's really, as I said, it's really treating it like a service organization, bringing a little humility to the table. Don't kind of come down and talk down to people. No one ever really found success doing that. But if you sit down and just have a casual conversation with people and do it often and repeatedly, because chances are you're probably not going to hit it out of the park on the first try. You're not going to be super successful with it. But the more you do it, the more you'll pick up on these little nuances and the more you'll be able to add more um, layers to your stack of skills and really be able to become a, a, a value-added person and really show where, like the power of data these days. The amount of stuff that you can get out of data sets is unbelievable compared to 10 years ago. And so leveraging this and making data-driven decisions and then when people start to see success from them, then you'll have that trust and they'll keep coming back to you. So I would say if there was one thing, anything that I would say to the people in the data Linux function, besides your foundational skills, I think those go without saying, um, it's really work on those social skills, talk to a lot of people, understand what they need and ask a lot of questions and really truly listen to what they have to say. And you'll be way more successful in this field. Absolutely. Exposure. And then, you know, if you ever need some inspiration and guidance, just, I guess, consult this playbook for some actionable things. I just focus on one thing. In this conversation, I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to find that insight. Or now I'm just going to, you know, exercise of talking to one person at a time and just achieving that those will be those small wins and those small failures as well that will get you closer to closer to home. So, Jake, this was a lot of fun. It's just not, not a shocker. I expected it to be. And I really enjoyed it. And the community appreciates your insights. And we look forward to working with you moving forward. Yeah, thank you, Lazo. I really appreciate you having me. This was this was a lot of time, a lot of fun. I really did enjoy this time here. And now I get to dive back into the day-to-day -day work and do some more analytics um, before I leave town tomorrow. So um, thanks again. Appreciate it. And, um, you know, we'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate you, Jake. All the best.